<clears throat> uh, it's pretty, ooh, there's a lot of you guys, not used to preaching to so many people. Um, <clears throat> it's pretty cool to see how the Lord just kind of works things out. Um, he gave me this passage and the, pa- the other passage that we'll be preaching from here tonight a couple months ago. And a few weeks ago, I really started, I knew I was getting ready to preach, and I really started getting into the passage. Uh, and I couldn't get some, couldn't get clarity. I couldn't get, I was like, I know this is where the Lord wants me, but I wasn't sure. And then um, Wednesday night, Brother Dan got up and preached some stuff, and some of the stuff went along with what I was studying, and then the Lord was like, see, you're going in the right direction. Uh, and then Kelly got up this morning and preached a message that, I mean, just hand in glove, it goes right along with what I'm going to be preaching about this evening. So it was really cool to see how the Lord works, and uh, so I pray uh, that you'll get a blessing from this. Forgive me, I'm a little nervous, uh, so it'll, it'll go away here in a few minutes. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 4, uh, let's start in verse number 1. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel, and when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. And when the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So the people went to Shiloh, that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise, Of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and quit yourselves like men. O ye Philistines, that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews, as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And the Philistines, excuse me, and the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent, and there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel thirty thousand footmen, and the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. Brother Jesse, can you open us up in a word of prayer, please? Dear Lord, uh, I'm thankful to, to have an opportunity to, to be back here tonight. And I thank you for the man that you've given us to, uh, to preach to us, Lord. And I, I pray that you'd calm his heart, his mind, that you'd be in control of him, that you'd be with his thoughts and his mouth, and that you just uh, help him and strengthen him to, to preach to us what you gave him to say, Lord, and just guide him through it. And we, uh, we thank you so much for it. We, Thank you for an opportunity to see you work between uh, the messages that we've gotten lately, and uh, we just pray that you meet with us again here tonight. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now here we have a passage where Israel has just gone through a battle. Now, I don't have to tell you that the Christian life is a battle, right? I mean, we go through battles every single day. Uh, The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, It says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We are in a battle. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So while we are in a battle, it's not like what most Christians think this battle is. You know, I've seen a lot of people, a lot of Christians uh, and they think that our battle is with um, the government. <laughs> our battle is not with the government. I, I knew some people that uh, they were Christians, <clears throat> and uh, they weren't in church one day, and I saw them 
uh, a few weeks later, and I was like, hey, where were you the other day? And they were like, oh, we were storming the Capitol steps. I was like, okay, why? Well, we've got to take this country back. We're in a fight. And I said, well... That's, that's the, you're in the wrong fight then. <laughs> that's not what we're fighting against. You see, the, the, the Christian has three different enemies. It has the world, it has the flesh, and the devil. As Kelly said this morning, we're not fighting for our God-given rights, quote-unquote. We're fighting. Uh, there's a reason that we're going to fight, and we're going to see that here in a little bit. Um, when we go in between these two passages, we're going to look at another one here in a minute. But there is a reason that Christians fight. And it's not, as some people might think, to defend God. Our job as Christians when we fight is not to defend God. We have a battle that we're fighting against the world, the flesh, and the devil. You can see this in the book of Exodus. We're not going to turn there. But you see how God brought the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. The land of Egypt is a great type, a great picture in the Bible of the world. And then what's the first enemy that they face when they get out of the world. When they get out of Egypt, the first enemy that they face is Amalek, right? Amalek is a great picture of the flesh. That's in Exodus chapter 17. But what happens in Exodus chapter 18? Who shows up? Jethro shows up. And Jethro is a great type, a great picture of the devil. And so here the Lord's giving us a picture of the three enemies that a Christian could face. Yes, we can see this. Back in the time, they were just fighting the enemies that, they, that came along, right? But at, in the New Testament, having the New Testament, we can see that we have three different enemies. And the fact of the matter is, uh, there's no draws in these battles. It's either a win or a lose situation. <clears throat> Unfortunately, Uh, a lot of times (laughs) we end up losing, right? And that's what's happening here in Israel. They're they're fighting a losing battle. And so what I want to do is take a look at this battle right here. We're going to go over, we're going to look at two different battles, and I'm just going to kind of contrast them. And I want to look at what characterizes a losing battle, and then I want to look at what characterizes a winning battle and see if we can't learn some stuff. Because the fact of the matter is, is the battle is not going away. As a matter of fact, the closer we get to the Lord Jesus Christ coming back, it's going to get a little bit harder. It's going to get a lot harder, I think. Because not only do we have more access to the things that we're fighting against now, Christians are spending less and less time in their Bibles. Christians are spending less and less time under preaching. They're spending less and less time doing those things, trying to have the relationship that they should with the Lord. So let's take a look here in this, in this passage. We're going to look at this first battle. I call this the battle of entropy. The battle of entropy, and that's a, that's a real fancy word uh, for chaos, for destruction, for disarray. That's what this battle ends in. It does not end well for the, for the children of Israel. I mean, they, they end up losing 34,000 people. And because of this, there's some more stuff that happens. We'll see here in a little bit that another 50,000, more than 50,000 people die in another instance that's directly because of this battle. They lost a lot of people. And one of the things that characterized this battle, one of the things that uh, I think from the passage caused them to lose this battle was that it was characterized by pretense. Look at, look at verse number 3. It says, And when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies." Do you notice anything wrong with that verse? (laughs) They didn't say, hey, the the Lord can save us. No, they said, let's get the ark and bring the ark with us so that the ark can save us from our enemies. Now, before you get all, (laughs) yeah, those idiots, you know, why would they do that? Before you get like that, I want you to know something about the ark. In the Old Testament, the ark is a is one of the best types of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, one of a, it's a great type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, 
do you remember what it's made out of? It's made out of gold, or it's made out of wood, and then it was overlaid with gold, right? That shows the two natures of Jesus Christ. Gold shows the deity of Jesus Christ, and wood shows the manhood of Jesus Christ. But not only that, what was inside the ark? Does anybody remember what was inside the ark? You find that in Hebrews chapter 9, I believe it is. Inside of the ark, there was three things. There was the manna. There was a golden pot that had the manna. There was Aaron's rod that budded. And then there was the Ten Commandments, the the stones that God told them to put inside of that ark. You see, you have a great picture of Jesus Christ because what is Jesus Christ? He's the physical manifestation of God. He's the physical manifestation of the Godhead. He's the Holy Spirit. That's pictured by Aaron's rod that budded. Well, what, is the fruit of the, what does the Spirit give you in your life? It gives you fruit. Just like Aaron's rod budded and bore fruit, it bore almonds. The Holy Spirit bears fruit in your life. And then on top of that, you have uh, the manna. What did Jesus say in, I believe it's John chapter 6? He said, I am the bread of life. So you have Jesus Christ, but not only that, you have the Ten Commandments given by God the Father, written with His very hand and put in the ark. So you have Jesus Christ, a type of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, and what were they doing? They were bringing that to the battle with them. So they had kind of the right idea, but something was wrong here. You see, the, the Israelites, they had the right assembly. What did God say? If you want, if you want to get close to me, where, what do you have to do? You have to become an Israelite, right? So, so what happened when, when they left Egypt? There was a bunch of people that were like, yeah, that's the right God. I want to be with them. And so they had strangers, right? Strangers that wanted to follow the Lord, that wanted to serve the Lord. They had to become an Israelite. They had to line up with that. They were in the right assembly. Uh, they had all the Bible that had been given at this point. Every single bit of the Bible that had been written, they had. They had the right preacher. Notice in verse number 1, it says, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Samuel was the leader that God had given them, the preacher that God had given them. Everything looked right from the outside. They had the right assembly. They had the Bible. They had a picture, the, the ark. It looked like they had Jesus Christ on their side, right? Why did they lose? Everything was right. Everything was correct. Not really. Because here, here's what happened. They cared more about what they knew. They cared more about what they knew than who they knew. What does Philippians 3 10 say, it says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Yeah, I like power, right? The power of his resurrection. And then we stop there. Yeah, but but what does the rest of the verse say? The the rest of the verse says, and the fellowship of his. No, 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 no. I don't I don't think God wants me to suffer. That doesn't sound like my God. You see, my God doesn't want me to suffer. No, if you want to know Jesus Christ, it says that he has fellowship of suffering. But not only that, it says being made conformable unto his death. You see, they didn't want to know Jesus Christ. They just wanted to know about Jesus Christ. So when it came time to battle, they're like, yeah, look at us. We got the ark. It scared the fire out of their enemies. What happened? The the Philistines, it said that the ark came into the camp in verse number 5. When the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? In verse 7, it says they said that God came into the camp. It scared them. From the outside, everything looked correct. But it was all pretend. It was pretense. It was fake. This was not the real thing. Why? Because they didn't have a relationship with the God of the ark. They just had a knowledge of the ark. It was all pretend. 
And while it looked like they were doing the right thing, they had no relationship there. You see, I think that Christians, they hear what it takes to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and then they say, you know what, I'd rather just know about Him than know Him. Can I just know a little bit about Him so that when, you know, when, the, when I try and witness at work and my friends are like, ha-ha, yeah, you're an idiot, that happens to me on a daily basis. People call me an idiot because I believe what I believe about the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, well, you know what the Bible says right here? And what do you do? You pull out, you pull out your Bible. I haven't spent time in it all week, but I'm going to show you what I know. You see what this says right here? You're wrong. It's pretend. It was the difference between it and he. See, what were they looking for? They were looking for something to save them instead of the Lord to save them. So it was characterized by pretense. But not only was it characterized by pretense, it was also characterized by provocation. Look at, again, in verse number 3. It says, And when the people... We're coming to the camp. The elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? You know, before they even lost the battle, the Lord gave them a warning shot. They lost 4,000 people. And they had the right idea. They were like, hey, why did, the, why did the Lord smite us today? What's going on? Something's not right here. Why did the Lord smite us here? You see, let's think about the context, right? A, a text out of a pretext, or a text out of the context is a pretext. So, what is the context? What's going on in Israel right now? What is happening in Israel? Well, let's see. Uh, we've already talked about the ark, right? Uh, one chapter before, I want you to look over there just real quick in chapter three and look at verse three. It says, And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. You see, the priests were told in the book of Exodus, you do not let that lamp ever go out. It was not supposed to go out. And that, it says, ere the, ere the lamp of God, that means before. Ere means before. So that means that it was happening. That the priests were allowing that lamp to go out. They have everything correct, but they're not doing what God told them to do. God said, what is is the lamp in the tabernacle? It's a picture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sheds light on the showbread, right? Which is a type of your your Bible. So they've quenched the Holy Spirit. What does 1 Thessalonians 5.19 say? Quench not the Spirit. You see, they're not in this for no reason. They've provoked the Lord. Uh, what does Hebrews 12, 6 say? It says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Ephesians four thirty says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. You see, at this point in Israel's history, what they were doing is they were, they were, pro- they were provoking God. They were, they were not... <laughs> This was not, you know, punishment without reason. There was a reason that this stuff was happening, because they were provoking God. But not only did they let that go out, not only was the, a picture of the Holy Spirit gone, but they didn't care what they were doing. You see, the priests were given specific instructions when they were to, to go to the, the offering. The, the people would bring their offering. They would put it in a pot and boil it. Uh, apparently, they were British, and they liked to boil meat. Uh, sorry, that was a bad joke. Uh, and so what they would do is they would take this flesh hook and they would strike the flesh hook in the pan and they would bring it up and whatever came up, that was the priests, that was their cut, basically. And so that's what they were supposed to be doing, but the people were bringing their offering to the Lord and before they even put it in the pan, they're like, no, 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 I don't want that boiled meat. Why don't you cut that off there? I like that. You know, that's a good ribeye right there. Why don't you cut that off for me? I'm going to throw it on the grill over here, and it's, it tastes better when it's on the grill, right? <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Has anybody boiled a ribeye? If you have, we need to talk. Uh, <clears throat> so God gave them specific instructions on what they were supposed to do when it came to, 
to divvying out the offering, what they were supposed to get. And they were like, no, that's not how I want to do it. I want to take this beforehand, before we put it in the pot, because I want to do what I want to do with it. But not only that, <laughs> they had the, Hophni and Phineas. I mean, you read in, in chapter 3, if you read that whole chapter, it says that they lay with the women that gathered in the assembly. They were committing fornication at church. <laughs> and then the Lord says, hey, trying to get their attention, right? 4,000 people, that's a lot of people to die for you to get, to get your attention, right? Hey, hey, listen, listen, something's going on wrong here. And they're like, why did the Lord smite us today? I don't understand. I don't get it. They were provoking the Lord, but not only did they provoke the Lord, they provoked their enemy. Look in, in verse number 6. <clears throat> Verse number 6, it says, And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians when all, with all the plagues, in the wilderness. Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. You see, what happened is because they were living a lie. They, they, they weren't doing the right thing. They looked like they were doing the right thing. Everything was built on pretense, though. And so what happened is they said, let's bring the ark into the camp. And then they shouted, well, then the, the Philistines heard that shout, and they were like, uh-oh. Well, you see, when you provoke the enemy, and you've got nobody backing you up, you're in for a bad time. They provoke the enemy, but not only is it, is it characterized by provocation, it's, it's characterized by pretense, but it's also characterized by pride. And look in verse 3 again, and you've... you've heard me talk about this already, but it says, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Do you know what that word wherefore means? It means for what reason? They thought that they didn't have a reason for the Lord to smite them before the enemy. Turn back to, to 1 Samuel chapter 3. I want you to look at the end of the chapter here. <coughs> 1 Samuel chapter 3. Verse number 19, the Bible says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And then verse 4, or verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Man, <clears throat> doesn't that just show the grace of the Lord? <laughs> they just went through the book of Judges, all through the book of Judges. and it, I mean, if you read through the book of Judges, it's like a roller coaster ride. They're like, yeah, we're doing good. Uh, now let's, let's worship some other gods. And then they get taken into captivity. And then the Lord brings them a judge. And then it brings them out of captivity. And they're like, yeah, we love the Lord. And then now we're going to serve some other gods. And it's just this constant roller coaster that they're going through in the book of Judges. And here they are again. But you know, every single time, what does the Lord do? He gives them a judge. He gives them a preacher. He gives somebody to show them the correct way. He gives them preaching. But they didn't believe that the preaching applied to them. And that's where the pride came in. Because they're like, <laughs> yeah, we hear you, Samuel. I know what you're saying. I know it, we know that you're a prophet. We know that you don't let any of the Lord's words fall to the ground. We get that. But that, that message is for, you know, that's for the Moabites probably, right? I mean, <laughs> those wicked sinners. 
For sure it's for the Philistines because they're obviously fighting against us and we're the correct people. Yeah. See, what happens in this losing battle is when the, when the Lord provides someone to preach to you, instead of taking it and loving the truth even though it looks at you and says you're wrong, you're like, no, <laughs> I can't be wrong. I'm me. Obviously I'm not wrong, right? Yeah. That's pride. They thought that it didn't apply to them. This doesn't apply to me. It's, it couldn't apply to me. I'm an Israelite. We're, we have the right book. We have the right assembly. We have the ark. This doesn't apply to us. We're doing the right things. It's pride. You know, we can do the same thing. Turn over to Titus. Keep your hand there. We'll be back here in just a minute. Turn over to the book of Titus. <clears throat> Chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began, but hath, excuse me, hath in due times manifested his word through what? Through preaching. So you're telling me that the Lord uses preaching nowadays. This this is Titus, right? This is the church age. I don't think you're convinced. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. See, that one was written to to Titus, right? He's not not like a church. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. These these should be familiar verses to you. Verse number 18. It says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Look at verse number 21. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. You see... Unfortunately, even nowadays, Christians, they don't like preaching. Uh, I lived in, in Newton, Kansas, and we would go out on the street and we'd street preach. And we'd be standing out there. <clears throat> it's nothing like going down to Ann Arbor, Detroit, so good on you guys for doing that. <laughs> but I'd stand out there on the street corner, and, and Newton, Kansas was an extremely religious, it was a very religious town. I mean, you want to talk about a church on every corner, there was some sort of a church everywhere. Well, that, uh, that really didn't, didn't make people very happy when we were out on the street. And I can't tell you how many times I had somebody come up to me and say, don't you think it would be better if you wouldn't yell at people? Don't you think it would be better if you would just, you know, talk nicely to them? I had one lady come up to me and she, she got so angry She was like, you're turning people away from Jesus Christ. I am a minister of Jesus Christ, and you're turning people away. I mean, angry at me, just yelling. And then another another day, spent an hour yelling at my pastor, literally an hour just yelling at him. Two weeks later, I'm out there preaching on the street, and this blue truck comes up and gives me a nice, you know, how you doing? The driver, they, <laughs> yeah, they, she flipped me the bird. It was that same lady who's a minister. I had to look her up because I didn't believe her. She was a minister of a Methodist church. Why? Because I was out there preaching. You see, Christians today, they don't, they don't want anything to do with preaching because it rubs you the wrong way. Makes me feel bad. <laughs> it convicts me. We were praying this morning before church, and Billy said, Lord, I want the conviction. And I said, I don't want the conviction. <laughs> I don't like that. But when it comes down to it, I do want the conviction. You know why? Because that means that the Lord's pricking my heart. The Lord's talking to me, and he's saying, hey, that's not right. And that's what he was trying to do here for the, for the Israelites. He was trying to say, hey, 
pay attention, something's not right here, why don't you listen to the preaching? Why don't you listen to the preacher? He's got a lot of good things to say that would help you in your life. Nah, that that doesn't apply to me. And what happened? They went out and lost the battle. Now, I I want to say this real quick. Not every battle you're fighting is because you're doing something wrong. I mean, you look at the book of Job. Job was a perfect and an upright man, and then he was still fighting a battle. But I mean... When you look at it, how many times are our battles self-inflicted? How many times is something that's going on in my life a result of me not listening to what the preacher said, listening to what this book said? Sometimes that's why I'm losing the battle. 1 Samuel chapter 7, we'll look at this other battle here. As you're turning there, I just want to... For the sake of time, I'm not going to go through this, the, these chapters in between. You, you kind of know the storyline. Uh, the Philistines, they win that battle. They take the Ark of the Lord, and then they take it into their, their towns, right? <laughs> and this is why I said God, these, these battles are not for us to protect God. God is perfectly capable of taking care of himself. What happens to the Philistines? They take the Ark of the Lord into their town and they put it in the house of their god Dagon, right? <laughs> and then they go in the ho- into the house of their god Dagon the next morning. What happened? He fell over. His head's cut off. His, his hands are cut off. Lying there like a limp dead fish. Yeah, because he was a fish god. Yeah. God is perfectly capable of taking care of himself. Not only did he destroy their God without any of the Israelites, but he gave them plagues. He gave them emeralds and mice. You guys can look up the old English word for emeralds, but it's uh, unpleasant to say the least. All right, so they end up with these plagues. And so they're like, you know what, forget this. I don't want this thing around here anymore. So they send it on a cart back to the Israelites. They send it to Beth Shemesh. And what do the men of Beth Shemesh do? They're like, hey, I've heard about this ark. Let's take a look inside. And they looked inside, and 50,000 people died. 50,000 more people, 50,070 to be exact. Why? Because the Lord said you're not supposed to do that. There was one person that was allowed to see the ark every year, and that was the high priest. So then from Beth Shemesh in... uh, Chapter 7 and verse 1, we're going to pick it up right here. It says, And the men of Kirjath Jerem came, came to Beth Shemesh, and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass, while the ark abode in Kirjath Jerem, that the time was long, for it was twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Now, I tried looking at to see if that 20 years was referring to something else. I don't think it is. It looks like it was 20 years since the last time they battled, since the last time they had that battle against the Philistines and they lost. That's a long time to be without the Lord. You see, they, did, they didn't have their fellowship. They lost a battle. And it's been 20 years. And I've spent some time in my life away from the Lord. And you know, every single time I look back at it, all three of those elements in that losing battle, that's what I was doing in my life. I thought, man, I'm, I'm at the school that is the premier school for learning the Bible, right? Led by Dr. Ruckman. I had Dr. Ruckman as one of my instructors. I'm a King James Bible believer. The devil can't touch me. Ah, he can, though. And then your flesh is going to get a hold of you. You see, that's what happens when you're fighting a losing battle. You have those things. But let's look at this battle here in chapter 7. Because I don't want to just leave you, oh, man, that's depressing. Oh, you lose the battle. You know, hope is not lost. There are some things that characterize a winning battle, or what I like to call the battle of, two, or the battle of productivity. Look in verse number 3. It says, And Samuel spake, Unto all the house of Israel, here's the preacher again, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods 
and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth, and serve the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them. And they were smitten before Israel." And the men of Israel went out to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came unto Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they came no more into the coast of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel. From Ekron even unto Gath, and the coast thereof did Israel deliver out of the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. A little bit different storyline here, right? This time they got the victory. So what's different? What is different? What characterizes this battle differently than the one that they lost 20 years earlier? Well, the first thing I see is preaching in verse number 3. Remember, their pride kept them from listening to the preaching, but this time, well, the Lord's still, hey, you can come back to me. You can come back to me. The the preacher was still there. You see, the Lord is always going to give you a preacher. Praise the Lord for that. (laughs) He's always going to give you a preacher, even if you don't want to listen to him. And sometimes, sometimes... You're going to ignore it, and it it might seem like the preacher's not there. But you know, you still have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. If you're saved here tonight, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And there's always going to be something in the back of your mind where the Holy Spirit's going to be like, Hey, you see, I was out of church for almost, almost five years. And I was sitting there having a conversation with one of my coworkers. I was in the Air Force, and we did these... Uh, we did these exercises. We were playing war, right? And so we were getting ready. We were exercising to make sure that if we did have to go to war, we were ready, right? And so what that meant for my particular job was to sit on a flight line in a launch truck for 12 hours. Really exciting, right? Ready to go to war, right? I'm going to sit here and take a nap for 12 hours. No, that didn't happen. Um, but I was out there with a coworker, and this coworker had um, he was a he was a contemporary Christian. Went to church every once in a while at this church called the Exodus. It was a interesting church to say the least. Uh, but he went to church here for you know he'd go off and on, and we were having this conversation in the launch truck. We're out here for I mean at this point probably about eight hours, and we were having this conversation. And somehow, I don't know how, the conversation turned to God in the Bible. Well, I wasn't in church, but there's something called training. And in a situation like that, my training just kicked in. And I'd sat there and I was like, oh man, you know, that's not right. And the Bible says this, and the Bible says this. And I hadn't spent time in my Bible in, what, five years And he said, man, I didn't know you knew so much about the Bible. I didn't, I didn't even know you were a Christian. <laughs> yeah, I know. I didn't want people to know. And he said, do you think you'll ever get back to it? And there it was. There was the preacher. A preacher from a contemporary church that, you know, I wouldn't set foot in. 
And he said, do you think you'll ever get back to it? And the Lord said, that's a pretty good question. That's a good question, Ben. I wish I had listened to that preacher five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, when the preacher was saying, hey, don't do that. You're going to screw your life up. (laughs) That doesn't apply to me. You know, but this time I listened to that preacher. I said, yeah, I, uh, something's not right here. I need to get back in church. <clears throat> not only will you subject yourself to the preaching, that's what the Israelites did here. They listened to Samuel. They subjected themselves to the preaching. Not only did they subject themselves to it, they responded to the preaching. You see, you can sit here and listen to the preaching. Amen. Yeah, that's great, preacher. But if you don't respond to it, if if nothing changes in your life, then what's the point? If the Lord says, hey, I don't like that, and you're like, sorry, I do. Then what's the point? You have to respond to the preaching. And that's what they did. Look here in verse number 4. It says, Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and serve the Lord only. Well, that's what the preacher said to do. He said in verse 3, Then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you. And that's what they did. They responded to the preaching. You see, if you want to to win the battle, there's going to have to be some subjection to the preaching, and then there's going to have to be some response. There has to be some, some movement on your part. The Lord does His part. He provides you with the book. He provides you with a perfect book that you can spend time in any time that you want to. And then He provides you with a preacher to get up here. The amount of time that our preacher spends in preparation, I can't even imagine. And gets up here week after week after week and presents the words. Now let me ask you, are you responding to the preaching? Or are you? That doesn't apply to me. That's, that's for that other guy over there. That's probably for Jesse, right? <laughs> I'm just messing with you, Jesse. <clears throat> See, it's characterized by preaching, but not only preaching, it's characterized by preparation. That's what, that's what Kelly preached on this morning. What does it say in verse number 3 at the end? It says, And prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve Him only. Do you know what preparation needs? What it entails? Does anybody, how many of you have ever done a garden before? A few of you. Yeah. Uh, I grew up with like, up north probably, it was like, I don't know, maybe a third of an acre that was garden. It was a lot. And, you know, my dad believed in making his kids work. Praise the Lord for that. I'm thankful for it. At the time, I wasn't very thankful for it. There's a lot of preparation. You know, springtime rolls around, the snow goes away, and it, all right, it's time to start. He didn't believe in a rototiller. Yeah, that was a teenage kid's problem. You're the rototiller. Get a shovel. Start digging. Right? And there was one time I remember we had to move. We built a garage on one side of our house. It used to be two split gardens. I mean, like, we had a lot of garden, right? used to be one garden on one side of the house, one on the other side of the house, and we had to move this garden over to this side so we could put a garage on this side. Man, I did not get a summer at all that year. It was a lot of work. Just like in Mark chapter 4 where Kelly went this morning. Sometimes your heart is by the wayside. Sometimes it's covered in brambles. Sometimes it's full of rocks. You see, in that parable, what is the Word of God? The seed is the Word of God. And the seed is going into the hearts. And if you take no time to prepare your heart, there's going to be no fruit in your life. You see, <clears throat> remember I said that the, this battle is not, it's not for me to protect God. It's not for me to defend God. The, battle, the Lord puts battles in your life so that you can grow. So that you can get rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. Yeah, they're, they're rough and they're hard to go through sometimes, but the Lord puts them in there for your benefit. Yeah. He does that for you. 
I understand that <laughs> nowadays we don't have a lot of free time. Does it, is that even a thing anymore, free time? <laughs> yeah. I know I don't have any free time. And sometimes it's hard to find some free time to get ready for the preaching. But how many times have you walked through those doors and you're like, well, I'm here, and spent no time asking the Lord, hey, I'd like to hear from you today. I know I haven't been doing exactly what I should have this week, but I would like to hear from you. I would like that conviction, even though it hurts. Can you speak to me? Look in verse number 5 at the end. I'll just read the whole thing. It's a short one. It says, And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day. I hate that word. I hate it. It says they fasted. I like to eat, um, if that wasn't obvious. Uh, But in this preparation for this battle, you know, sometimes when you're preparing for a battle, it might be good to abstain from some things. Some things that are normal that maybe are uh, taking your eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ. See, fasting doesn't always mean just fasting from food. In this case, it did. Uh, maybe sometimes you've got to turn the TV off. Maybe sometimes you've got to put the phone down. Maybe sometimes you've got to put the book down. And pick this one up. <laughs> I should clarify that. I don't know. Some, some people like to read books for entertainment. Sometimes you need to make time. Preparation takes work. It's not, you know, (laughs) let me just throw some seeds out in the garden and hope it grows. No, you have to dig up, take the weeds out, take the rocks out, take the things that are going to choke that seed from coming up and bearing fruit so that you can have some food for the winter, right? Preparation takes work. But not only this, and I'm done with this. This is the last one. Look at verse number 3 again. Not only is there preaching, not only is there preparation, but there's some putting away. It says in the middle of the verse, Then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you. Do you know, if you want to win the battle, if you want to have a winning battle, have a chance at winning the battle, if the Lord says, get it out, get it out. I don't care what it is. You see, that's why it's so important to sit under preaching because there's times where you'll get in and you'll sit under the preaching and it has nothing to do with the sin that's in your heart, but the Lord always finds a way to hit on that sin. The message could have nothing to do with it and preacher has no idea, but the Lord does. And he says, I want it out. you got a God in your life. You've got something that is more important than me. That's what a God is, right? It's something that you put before God Almighty. In order for the Lord to win the battle for them, they have to put away some things in their lives. You've heard it before. Preachers said it so many times. The Lord is going to have fellowship with someone with sin in their nature, but not with someone with sin in their heart. You see... What I notice between these two different battles, both times they have all the right stuff. They didn't get rid of the ark in chapter 7. They didn't, get rid of, um, they didn't get rid of the assembly. They still have the Ten Commandments. All of those things, they have all the right stuff. What changed from chapter 4 to chapter 7? What changed was their relationship with the Lord. You see, if you want to have a chance at winning the battle you might want to work on your relationship with the Lord. And you know, just in closing, sometimes victory, everybody says, you know, we want to live the victorious Christian life. It does not always look like you would think victory looks like. Yeah, in, in, this, uh, in this passage, yeah, it, the Lord comes in and he thunders a great thunder. And then they're able to like subdue them. And then they get all their cities back. They get all that stuff back. It doesn't always look like that. We heard several examples this morning of people that, oh, yeah, yeah, that doesn't look like they're winning. That doesn't look like they're doing the best that they can, living their best life now, whatever it is that they say now. 
<clears throat> How many of you ever heard of uh, Eugene Bartlett? I hear, I see a nod, one nod, and I know Jesse is because because we talked about this last week. Eugene Bartlett, uh, he was a songwriter in the early to mid 1900s. I mean, he wrote a lot of songs. I I counted them yesterday just on one website. He had over 80 songs that he had written, and I don't know any of those songs. None of them. He had this music school. I mean, he had. All of this different stuff that he did, he had a ministry that he would go around and uh, teach music. And there's one song that people know him for. When he, at 1939, I think it was, he was 53 years old in 1939, and he suffered a massive stroke. And for two years, he lived two more years after this stroke, he was bedridden. He could not move. Everything was painful. He was suffering from depression. (laughs) Yeah. It seems like everything was just taken away from him, right? That's kind of a rough thing to deal with. And yet, um, the song that he wrote in the two years, it took him almost two years to write this song, and he could only write a few words at a time. It starts out, I heard an old, old story. How a Savior came from glory who gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. And then what does the second verse say? It says, I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing. You know, Eugene Bartlett never got healed. You'd look at his life and be like, that is not a victorious Christian life at all. Everything was taken away from him. He was a songwriter. I mean, he wrote... I don't know how many songs. He wrote at least 80 songs up until this point. Yeah, it's it's a lot. He wrote one song, (laughs) but what had to happen, the Lord had to put him through some stuff. The Lord had to put him into a battle with depression, into a battle with uh, not being able to move. His ministry that he had was completely gone. And yet he wrote the song, Victory in Jesus. You see, sometimes living the victorious Christian life doesn't look exactly what we think it's going to look like. But you see here, we have two great examples of battles. Same country, same assembly, same book. What was different? You know, it was different one word. In the first battle, they were trusting in it. They were trusting in the ark. In the second battle, what were they trusting in? They were trusting in he He's going to be the one that delivers us. They cared more about their relationship with the Lord in that second one than they did in the first one. You see, and if if you want a chance, I mean, the battle is only going to get harder. It's not going to get easier. And I don't want to quit again. I've done it once and it hurts. It's not fun. It's just a mess. So if we want a chance of not, worrying, not, not losing the battle? Why don't we trust in the Lord? Why don't we work on our relationship with Him? So I'm not going to have an invitation as we close.